What is going on, guys? Hank and Sam here, back at it again with another episode of Big Blue Avenue. And once again, we are somehow missing somebody very, very important to this show. Tom, come on, man. Where the heck are you? <laughs> I know it's been like so many weeks the three of us haven't been together, but next week, next no, week, no, no, three no, of no. us will be back. Tom obviously was very busy. He had other obligations that he had to take care of, but of course, Sam and I are here again, and now at least we have two-thirds of the crew this time around, as opposed to yesterday, where you had me and you had Johnny as a guest host, who, by the way, shout out to Johnny if you're watching this. You did an excellent job in filling in for both Sam and Tom, and pretty much as always, I want to thank you for another good show that we have done together, as obviously everybody knows he is my co-host on Game On, and he is also a recurring guest on my other show. Hitting for the cycle, which is about to conclude its second season this Tuesday. But I'm sorry, I'm going off on a tangent on my own. <laughs> so I better stop and shut up before we uh, keep going. But in any event, Sam, how's it going? It's going pretty good. Um, when was the last time we were able to say that the Giants are six and one? Well, the answer to that would happen to be in 2008, which, in my opinion, was actually the best Giants team. In my lifetime, I don't want to really talk about what happened at the end of that season. That still gives me nightmares, but still six and one, you, you got to be feeling good. I mean, if you had told me, raise your hand, if you told me the Giants were going to finish, finish six, or start six and one at this point, put it down your line. Yeah, <laughs> no, literally, I don't think any, I think I put total, we were going to win seven or eight games total this entire season. We're already at six. So that's just a big feat in and of itself. 2008, we were in what, like fifth and sixth grade? Like the fact that it's we had to wait till this long, our mid-20s to feel like this again, it's it's a great feeling. And I'm, I'm really excited about it. So obviously I went on and plugged a little bit of myself shamelessly, but only because of an accidental tangent. But in any event, I do want to give us some more plugs regarding the network. So obviously, excuse me, please don't forget to follow us on all of our social medias. You can get, give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter at Big Blue Avenue. And of course, if you're watching, whether you're watching this on Facebook or on YouTube, please don't forget to hit that big red button down below. Give us a like and please leave us a comment. Of course, the likes help us with the Facebook algorithm. So it helps give more people to watch the show. And of course, if you're on YouTube, we'd love to hear you commenting as well, because we want as much interaction from our viewers as we can get. But speaking of comments, we've already got a few comments up there in the section. And um, Andy, awesome Sam and Hank, let's fucking go. Who ne- <laughs> oh, Andy, I don't agree with that last second. We still we still love and miss Tommy Boy. We do. We do indeed. But hello, Andy. No, and uh, I love how Tim, him and Tom are going out in the comment section. That's right, Andy. <laughs> I'm the chop liver tonight. And uh, you know who else is excited is your biggest fan. Hi, Hank's mom. <laughs> <laughs> I am back. I missed last week, but now I'm back. Yes, both of our both of our biggest fans is back as well in the comments section, and we are we are very happy to be back. So, uh, Sam, uh, why don't also sorry before I forget into it. Also, don't want to forget about our sponsor, uh, BetUS. So. Before I continue on to the game, you can sign up with our promo code JOIN125. Please click on the link below if you're interested. Get all your sports betting anytime, anywhere, straight from your mobile device. And um, once again, I'm so excited. So can we please just get to the game already? Let's get to the game. 
So um, in any event, Tom already and I already did a recap a couple days ago on the YouTube mm -hmm. channel, which you can check out. But let's share some of our key takeaways and get right into it before we get on to the Seattle game. So in addition to the fact that this is the first Giants team to start six and one since we were in six. Well, I think I was in sixth grade. You might have been in seventh grade. Brian Dable is actually the first Giants head coach to start his career six and one since Leroy Alexander in 1929. That's incredible. That's incredible. That's how you know things are getting changed and getting better. It's been that long. And, you know, the best part about this is the Giants have continued to find ways to win close games, despite the fact that they have been outgained. And the other impressive part about this is their point differential is very low. But, you know, it's funny. I actually saw a video from Jaguar Gator 9, who, if you ever watch that guy on YouTube, definitely give him a subscribe. You're doing yourself a disservice. You, Sam, you think that I have a crazy steel trap when it comes to like football memories this guy takes the cake he really crazy that's impressive and he posted a video recently where he talked about how the giants were quote unquote one of the worst six and one teams but he also said that of all the teams to start out this well with a low point differential the others also went to the super bowl so who knows yeah yeah i mean the fact that just going back to the coaching stat that it's been almost a hundred years since like we had a coach like that, that was able to start this good. Like that, that's just, I love that so much. I love that stat. And yeah, it's, uh, it's been a crazy, crazy couple of weeks for being a Giants football fan. Right. Like I feel like last week specifically was a big nail biter. Like I didn't know if we were going to make it out of that game with a win or not genuinely. Yeah, it was really crazy. I was like sweating it out when I was at a Tiernanog, which is the bar that's literally right across the street from Madison Square Garden. I ended up going to the Ranger game that night, but obviously we won't talk about that. That was a really bad blowout loss. But <laughs> in any event, six and one, definitely. And I got to tell you, I was feeling the same way. The Jaguars were driving and, you know, there were some mistakes that almost cost the Giants the game. Saquon Barkley getting out of bounds. I think that really could have turned the tide the other way, but again, thankfully it didn't. And I got to give him credit where credit is due because in the post game press conference, he owned up to his mistake and took responsibility. And I'm sure he would have definitely done the same thing. If God forbid that the catch was made inside the end zone, as opposed to at the one yard line. Right. Right. Definitely. And I think that, too, just in terms of mistakes being made and things in this game, the the last drive of this game, when the Jaguars were getting down the field trying to score, there were so many penalties on the defense, and it was just making it even worse because they were getting down the field and they were going to score. Right. Travis, I think it was Travis Etienne. Somebody was right on the on the, the goal line. The defense was able to hold them off before they got into the goal line to score the points to win the game. But there were like, I can't even remember how many penalties there were, but there were so many and they just kept gaining yards and gaining yards and gaining yards. I was like, you are handing the Jaguars this game on a silver platter. And that really stressed me out. So that was probably one of the biggest mistakes from this game was just the defense's penalties on that last drive. So two things. Yes, you're right that that was ETN. And 
the Giants actually had eight penalties, which is a pretty high total. But luckily for them, the Jaguars had more in 13. So really both of them were pretty undisciplined, all things considered. Right. This game. But I will say this, though, getting back to Barkley, even with that mistake that he made, you could there a very big case could be made that he is a choice for MVP of the NFL at this point. And I don't even think that's an exaggeration at this point because of how he's essentially carried them to the start. Although actually I really shouldn't say he carried Daniel Jones, obviously did his part too, but we'll get into Daniel Jones later. I know you'll have a lot more to say about that. Definitely. If there was one thing that hurt the giants, it was injuries. And you know, whether it's a good or a bad giants team, unfortunately, it's just something they're going to inevitably deal with every year. And Daniel Bellinger ended up getting hurt with an eye injury. That is a real killer loss because he was probably the secret weapon at tight end. And I think the question is, who do you end up seeing starting games at tight end? Do you think it's going to be Chris Myrick or Tanner Hudson? I'm probably going to go with Tanner Hudson because Tom and I have talked about this too in past episodes. He's another guy who low-key does a pretty good job like not just catching but like he's another really good blocker yeah definitely um out of those two names when you said that just now tanner hudson was the one that stuck out more um just because i feel like he's kind of been right behind daniel bellinger these past few weeks just in terms of what he's able to do and daniel bellinger's been getting more targets in terms of getting into the end zone and things along those lines so i think tanner hudson can step it up and and be the new tight end for the giants, but I really, really hope Daniel Bellinger can get better quick. And I know that it was kind of a fluke injury. I think um, someone's hand just like smacked his eye and then he broke his orbital bone, which is such a crazy, you know, injury. It's not, that's not really anything that could have been avoided in any way. So I'm, I'm really hoping Daniel Bellinger comes back because you guys know, everybody watches the show knows I'm a big fan of Daniel Bellinger. I really, really love him. So, and he's been a crucial part of this offense so far. And I just, we need him to come back and quickly. Well, I wouldn't necessarily say it's so much Daniel Bellinger. I think you just love Giants tight ends who do their jobs. Who do their jobs. Yeah. And we got to see Evan Ingram on the other side of the ball for the first time. That was fun. He actually had an okay game. He had seven catches for uh, 64 yards, but luckily not. He's a pro bowler. What are you going to do? Well, pro bowler by default. That's (laughs) for another day. So Bellinger actually led the Giants with two touchdown receptions. But if there is one person who is not concerned, it is the right person that shouldn't be concerned. That's Brian Dable. He actually says that he's very confident in the Giants tight end depth and Again, as we discussed with Tanner Hudson, he's been another productive member of that unit. I don't think we should be as concerned either. It just stinks that we're going to be without Daniel Bellinger for a significant amount of time. You never want to see injuries. But another side of the offense that I really want to talk about is the left tackle. And that's Andrew Thomas. Because like, And I should have really brought him up sooner once discussing Saquon Barkley, but Mm-hmm. If we're being honest, I think Andrew Thomas is just as much, if not, you could even argue even more so of the MVP of this offense, because he has done a really good job providing holes, like creating lanes for Saquon Barkley. And not to mention, he's been a pretty good security blanket for 
Daniel Jones. He's he's allowed him to have more time throwing the ball. And, you know, this is exactly what we pretty much envisioned when we drafted him. And as I often say, the left tackle is arguably the most important position on a football team. Yeah. I mean, Saquon Barkley couldn't be Saquon Barkley without a good offensive line. And Andrew Thomas has been a absolute staple in this team in general I feel like he's literally been it's almost like it starts all the way at the offensive line and it works its way back so that stable offensive line is what makes this really good offense with Daniel Jones and being able to do even Daniel Jones taking off I've been reading articles Daniel Jones is now considered a dual threat quarterback like he is a dual threat quarterback and when I was watching red zone on Sunday I saw Lamar Jackson run down the sidelines and then like one second later they cut to the Giants game and Daniel Jones is running down the sideline not comparing him to Lamar Jackson but I was like oh look at the similarities there he's a running quarterback which is exciting and when you have an offensive line you have someone like Andrew Thomas and I mean we'll get to Evan Neal in in a little bit but having both sides of that line secure um Daniel Jones is even able to take off, which is I love to see, even though he trips over his own feet all the time. Well, not all the time, just a certain game in Philadelphia that I pretty much want to block out of my memory. But he did trip over his feet a little this past game. I saw him take off at one point and he kind of he fell and I was like, oh, no. Yeah, I know. But every time you say he tripped over his own feet, that just gives me nightmares. But then again, so do many losses against that frigging franchise. Yeah. But yeah, you mentioned Evan Neal. That's another tough injury that the Giants had to deal with. But fortunately, he should only be out for two to four weeks. So I would say the Giants definitely dodged a bullet in that the MCL was just a sprain. But still, though, it it definitely hurts to lose one of your pillars on the uh, offensive line and one who you're trying to see develop into one of the absolute beasts. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So one other guy that I want to mention on the offense before we get to the player of the week is Wandale Robinson, who I think has been very key to Daniel Jones's success in the intermediate passing game. And he pretty much makes the Kadarius Tony pick, which we will talk a little bit more about shortly because boy, I I know you and I have a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Makes the Kadarius Tony pick look worse and worse by the day. Yeah, no, Wandale, I, I was I was a little bit concerned, um, obviously, for the first few weeks when he was injured and we didn't know what he was going to, you know, what he's going to do when he came in. But he's been coming in and just I've been blowing me away. And I'm just very, very happy that we have this actual rookie who can grow into a star in the wide receiver room, because obviously it's something that we're lacking. So if Wandale is someone who can stick around for a little while and become one of our star wide receivers, like that's one more piece of the problem that's fixed. And we're working with it, with what we have right now and doing well, but it's like, that's what we need. And and he can grow into that. So I'm really excited to see what Wandale can do for this team. So with that being said, Sam, I think it's time we talk about our player of the week and, Once again, this was a pretty unanimous decision. That would be none other than the one, the only. Oh, I'll spare you the suspense. It's Daniel Jones. (laughs) Yes, it's Daniel Jones again. Uh, Last time I made a Daniel Jones player of the week graphic, it had to 
be two different graphics because of how well he did. But um, it was only one this time with this really wonderful picture of him that I found. I thought that was a great photo. Um, but so Daniel Jones, our Big Blue Avenue Player of the Week, and he was named the NFC Offensive Player of the Week this week uh, for the third time in his career. Um, 19-30, one touchdown, zero interceptions, sacked only one time, which is very impressive. Um, and Jones only had 11 incompletions. Six of them were drops, which means that he only had four real incompletions, which is really, really impressive. And you're seeing how he's growing in this team throughout. Um, J- Jones is sixth in the NFL in QBR this year, which is so amazing. Like people are sleeping on him and they're starting to finally realize the potential that Daniel Jones actually has. Um, he holds an 81.7 QBR over the last four weeks, which is the highest in the NFL. 11 rushes for 107 yards and one touchdown. Like this is just regular running back type of stuff. And we just talked about him being a dual threat. So obviously he's doing an incredible job on his own. Um, uh, Jones is the first giant quarterback to rush for 100 plus yards in a game since 1934. We've obviously had a type the last few years, gunslingers. And uh, Daniel Jones is one of them, but he's also a runner, which is great. Um, Jones now has five game-winning drives in seven weeks, and the NFL record in a single season is eight, and he is now nine and three in the last 12 starts. So obviously improving. Just great. And again, remember when people said that Daniel Jones did not have a clutch team, clutch gene? Yeah, sure. Pepperidge Farm remembers. Yeah. <laughs> It's like it's insane how much he's grown, and now that he has a consistent coach, three in the first three years of his career. That's what I'm saying. Like he's doing so well. I'm like so happy. We never hopped off the Daniel Jones train, and we've stuck it out with him for this long because now we can finally like bask in the glory of Daniel Jones. Yeah, absolutely. And again, whether he's the quarterback beyond 2023. I think that remains to be seen. I think we're getting really too far ahead of ourselves. Sure. If I'm being honest, but we definitely know he is the starting quarterback this year, barring any terrible unforeseen circumstances. Let me knock on wood. And then, but he's definitely going to be the quarterback next year for sure. Cause we're finally seeing his potential. And like I've been saying, and Tom can probably vouch for me on this too. Daniel Jones has finally been put in the right system and he's finally been put in a position to succeed and yeah it's funny because like i I often said maybe this is going to be the reverse eli manning and because eli manning had like all the talent like around him this first few years then by the time it deteriorated look what happened and right i think there's somebody in the comments who approves of our choice for uh player of the week that would be the one and only tom yes yeah no i literally though the fact that you just said that and him getting a you know a team built around like he the fact that he's doing what he's doing with a team that is just average like there are no stars on this team that's what makes it so impressive so now with that being said let's go over the week eight transactions so as we mentioned daniel jones has been named the nfc offensive player of the week and by the way sam can i actually give you a few uh fun fact about daniel jones please do please do he actually did something that Eli Manning never did last week. In fact, no, no Giants quarterback has done this. Win a game in Jacksonville. Wow. Never in Jacksonville? Nope. The Giants up until then were 0-3 in Jacksonville. They even 
I think they actually lost to Tom Coughlin down there in the late nineties once. Wow. That's crazy. I mean, I assume we've beaten the Jaguars, just not in. Oh Jaguars. yeah, no. The last the last game we beat the Jaguars in, I want to say it was week thirteen or fourteen. I'm not sure off the top of my head, but it was one of those weeks. It was because I remember we beat them, and then we beat the Vikings. That was the game where the snow like crashed the dome, and then there was that certain Philly game we don't talk about. <laughs> but yeah, That's I remember crazy, it was though. I was an Eli Manning comeback at home. Just wild, really wild. Well, yeah, keep it because remember, there aren't really there isn't really a lot of history between the Giants and the Jaguars. But in any event, some more big news. Nick Gates has been activated the 53 man roster. He underwent seven surgeries. And I think the question is, is he going to be getting a start at the offensive line? I don't know if it's going to happen right away, but the fact that he's even there and like he's off the injured reserve is Mm -hmm. a miracle in and of itself. Yeah, definitely. When we found out, uh, I think it was yesterday morning, right? When we found out he was uh, he was coming back, I was very excited and just, I mean, obviously when the like the Alex Smith injury happened, like that was like a really big deal. It was really really bad. He almost lost his life because of all the surgeries he had to get. But like I, this might not have been as bad, but seven surgeries is intense. That's that's a lot of surgeries. So for the fact that he was able to do that and he's now on an active roster, I, that's very, very impressive. And I'm very excited to have him back. He's young. He's only 26. So I'm I'm really excited for him to, to grow and come back into this team because I feel like he could be a really great asset. Another offensive lineman that you've been very supportive of, Matt Peart, returned to practice on Wednesday. Another thing worth mentioning. But yeah, back to Gates for a second. I'm very happy yes. to see him back and I hope he ends up getting an opportunity to start sometime down the line. Ellerson Smith and Rodarius Williams were also designated to return from the IR and tight end Andre Miller was signed to the practice squad on Tuesday, which I think makes a lot of sense. He's probably another security blanket slash band-aid in case either Myrick or Hudson goes down. So definitely definitely makes sense. But now of course we got to talk about the biggest transaction of them all. And I believe I need to like say a term used on another podcast that I've heard of. That's a pretty damn good one. I think I'm looking at the host of said podcast, the girl who talks sports. So might as well mention some uh, tea time. Well, the tea time, like, I don't think we've been able to have a tea time in such a long time, but I mean, like my mug is, is dusty. I've been putting pens in it, but I have my mug. And well, no offense, but I'm pro- I'm kind of glad that we have been avoiding tea for most of this giant season. Because absolutely, absolutely. But yeah, it's time to talk about Kadarius Tony and the fact that he went to the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, that was something that came out of the blue. First of all, I was blown away at the fact that that happened. Um, but there was like some tea going on on Twitter. So let me pull up my let me pull up my receipts here. I have them in my in my <laughs> camera roll. So basically, um, we we have had him on the show before. Um, Chris, who is the entertainer who talks sports, um, big in the Giants community. I'm sure many of you know who he is. Um, had this DM that he has kept to himself for a very long time because Kadarius Tony was still a giant. And he basically tweeted out. So this was what Chris tweeted out. He said, Kadarius Tony and injuries go together like peanut butter and jelly. This dates back to college. I'm rooting for the guy, and I think he can make an impact on 
an impact when on the field, but this guy needs to find a way to stay on it, which I think is a pretty valid tweet to say. Like, everything that he said was just like, yes, he gets injured a lot, but we want to see him on the field. Kadarius Tony ends up DMing Chris with that tweet, and he says, cap dummy, go find some safe to do, which, to be quite honest with you, I'm not entirely sure what that means, but obviously he was rubbed the wrong way. Um, so Chris kept that to himself, which was actually a very professional thing to do instead of blowing up Kadarius Tony while he was still on the Giants. Um, but now he's not there. So Chris tweeted it out today and said, this is what I mean. I was never going to share this while he was a giant because I don't want drama. But now that he is gone, this is a DM Tony sent me after I sent this tweet, which is not even bad, which we just said. Um, I knew that second, I knew that second, if it was rat, if he rattled by it, he was not for New York. So, Kadarius Tony is, uh, you know, we had our feelings about him when he was drafted. We were not our, his biggest fans. We tried to get on board with him, but just the fact that he's been completely nobody on this team. He never scored a touchdown for us. He never did anything. He was always hurt. I'm not sad to see him go. I'm really not. And we got a third-round conditional and a sixth-round pick for next year out of it. I'm not mad about it, Hank. I'm really not. Can I just say something right now? Mm-hmm. Even if Joe Shane, all he got in return was a giant bag of Cool Ranch Doritos, <laughs> I still would have called that trade a win. And you want to know why? Yeah. Because he barely even showed up on the field and did anything. That's and, what I'm saying. You know... Let me let me give you these that like let me bring this up. So obviously we know he struggled to stay healthy, had not played since week four, and let me give you his numbers this year: mm-hmm. four catches for just twenty three yards, and ten games as a rookie, thirty nine catches for oh my gosh, four hundred twenty yards. Yeah, and that's then, what I have too. I love that you brought up the DM with that he and uh, Tano like had like going at it back and forth and you know Tana unfortunately isn't the only Giants fan that had to deal with yeah drama obviously we brought up Alex Wilson and I don't know what his beef was with a lot of fans but like the fact that he's gonna go on that he's more focused on taking his anger out on certain members of the fan base as opposed to actually staying healthy and playing games and I even heard a rumor somewhere that he wasn't even dealing with an injury. Dude just didn't even want to play. Like that's what I heard too. I heard that. But and, and yeah, go ahead. I need to I need to read out another thing that I sent you guys. It's in the group chat somewhere, but mm-hmm. it really goes to show you how good of a job Brian Dable's done. And this this is what the tweet reads. And this is what Beef, Big Blue VCR said this, by the way. And he's another guy that we've interviewed in the past. We had him, I want to say it was back in December of a year ago, by the time the season was pretty much a lost cause. I also think about Dave's playing Tony's music during camp practice. I think he was trying to do everything to connect with him, and it didn't work. From all indications, everyone loves playing for Dave's. So that kind of tells you we should be happy to get two picks for him. And so... Needless to say, mm-hmm. I don't care who those pick, what those picks turn out to be. The Giants won this trade. Yeah, There's absolutely. No doubt about this. It just seemed like even if 
Kadarius was healthy in one way or another. He just wasn't fitting in well with the team. It just wasn't working out. And it just, it just happens, you know, it is what it is. So I'm that that's a cramped wide receiver room over in Kansas city. Um, but you know, good for him for making it over there. Um, but I actually have another, another like little bit of tea. Um, and it it was a Kadarius Tony put out a tweet this afternoon and I screenshotted it. And when I went back to look at it, he had deleted it. So he, he, and this is about the injury. He tweeted out that joke would have been funny if I was actually still hurt. Irrelevant people don't get updates. And then he deleted it. So it's very possible that he has been like faking an injury and then was like, Oh crap, I put that out there and like, I got to delete it. So I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means for his health and for the Kansas City Chiefs, but I just think that that was a very skeptical thing to say. And um, again, not entirely, not entirely sad that he's gone. Um, but obviously, our offense is okay without him, so it's not like we're missing a piece because he's never played. Basically, I mean, look in my um. So I was checking my empty the bench uh, uh, group chat hours mm-hmm. before, like right after I got out of work, and like someone mentioned, "Oh, this is an odd trade. It means you're getting rid of wide receiver." No, couldn't. Did that's the wrong way to look at this. No, here's how we should really look at this. Joe Shane essentially got rid of somebody who was a malcontent and probably would have become a locker room cancer if things didn't get worse and become too late. And let me just say, it's yet another reason why I really appreciate the new regime, because I'm not a hundred percent sure that if the previous guy who shall remain nameless was still in charge, I have a bad feeling he'd probably still be stuck on this roster. And like, yeah, because he was the one that drafted him. But fortunately Shane knows the blood's not in his hand with him. And, you know, it, it's just another example that it doesn't matter who you are. If you don't want to be here, pack up your stuff, get out. And unfortunately, there's one other player that we would kind of agree with, but at least Kenny Galladay is actually trying to put in some form of effort. That's the thing. Right, right. But and he's also getting a lot of money, so he's like working a little bit harder. But unfortunately... That's a significant amount of blood that you're going to need more than just a mop to clean up. Yeah. No, if you know what I mean. It's I'm, I'm again, not in a, any state of mind to feel sad about losing him. So we got two draft picks out of it. And Hey, if he, um, and I think that's a perfect transition to the next thing I was going to say, because now it gives Joe Shane some options. And I think it's also a perfect segue to get into some of the comments, which have been blowing up a little bit during our conversation. James Montefiore. Oh gosh. <laughs> um, I'll ask is OBJ coming back. I Dude. wish I had that old button with me that was like back at my parents' house in Chappaqua, but for the last time, no. Well, also too, I know that OBJ is still in rehab till like December. So that 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 conversation can be brought up maybe in a month or two, but it's so can the Giants even afford not. OBJ at this point? I don't even know. I don't know. Now, he talks to LPG a lot on Twitter about it. 
Well, LPGs like still buddies with a lot of former giants. So take take that for what you will. And um, my buddy Scotty is in the comments section. He says, I'd love for this roster spot to turn into Jerry Judy. Now, this is where I was getting to with the transition. Now, could the Giants potentially trade one or both of those picks for a wide receiver? And I really think somebody like Jerry Judy could be very beneficial for the roster. Like, I don't think he was really set up to succeed well in Denver. You yeah. put him on the Giants. I don't want to say that Daniel Jones is necessarily a better quarterback than Russell Wilson, at least not yet. Yeah. But you're going to put him in a better offensive system. Brian Dable is between Brian Dable and Nathaniel Hackett. That's like an unfair comparison right there. Oh, for sure. Nathaniel Hackett, like, I don't think he knows how to coach. No offense, but I think he had to like bring in professionals to like help him learn how to coach because I don't at least head coach. So, yeah, I mean, that'd be interesting, though, to see that the using those draft picks for something else right now. But also, I don't I'm not like pressing for a wide receiver just because of the fact that we are if we start losing games, maybe. But for winning, like what's the like, what's the point? And that's why it's great that the Giants are six and one because they don't have to make any irrational moves that would signal some sort of panic, you know? So, yeah, I would too, but I just, I don't, I think you'd have to really get the right deal for a Jerry Jewy to happen. And yeah, definitely. let me keep going with the comments section because we've got like about three or four of them. Uh, JC Warbound Seven, thank you for tuning in. We don't need that negativity in the locker room. I'm happy is gone. Yep. Correct. You, that's how every giant fan should feel right now. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be there. Sign R. Yep. Bye. And Scotty once again says addition by subtraction. That's exactly what it is. Now throw Denver a second round pick for Jerry Judy. If the money fits again, that's the key word. If the money fits, but I also want to say that you don't necessarily have to trade those draft picks. I mean, mm-hmm. one of them might end up staying within your grasp. And if you really trust your scouting, you you can obviously get somebody worth of value with that third or second round pick. So I sure. wouldn't really rule out that possibility. And Tom pretty much asks what I said earlier when we talked about a certain wide receiver that's very polarizing. With what money do the Giants have to get a receiver? They don't. And Again, let's thank the the guy who drafted the malcontent receiver that we just dumped. But, like, again, our offense isn't suffering because of it. You know, yeah. it's not like Kadarius was scoring 10 touchdowns every year and, you know, everything. Like, he's never done anything for our offense, so we're not really not missing anything. I feel like he'll do well after he starts taking off somewhere else. He'll probably do well. But I'm not going to feel bad about it because he probably would have never done that here. No, so and I agree with that. And this goes beyond just football. There are some players that are just meant to succeed in whether it be New York or like any other team. But then mm-hmm. there are some that just don't. It's it's just what happens. It's it's you know yeah that's what we do that. But mm-hmm. before I get into that, I do want to ask one more question, and I kind of want to re uh, revisit a take that our good buddy Brian Atard made. Last oh yeah. Week. And had him on because I think now this question is just as relevant now as it was like back when we pre- previewed the Dallas Cowboys. If we were going to pull a share 
and turn back time, would you have taken Micah Parsons knowing what you know now and, you know, knowing what could have happened with the picks? I still stand by my original answer. I don't think the trade was bad. My issue was who was who you took with that pick and chalk up another L for that <laughs> that senile GM who yeah hopefully I, is either in a retirement home or just nowhere near a GM spot at this point. You know what, Dave? I hope he's just like on a beach far, far, far away. That's it. Like go live your life somewhere and chill out. Hopefully um, him and hopefully Glenn Sather joins him one of these days too. Sorry, I know that's a hockey reference, but <laughs> I was like, uh, I don't think I know who that is. No, he he was – I'll tell you about him after the show or when I teach you more about Rangers hockey. That sounds good. Um, but, yeah, I agree with you. I honestly – I mean, Micah Parsons is an incredible talent, and it sucks that he's on the Dallas Cowboys. But the amount of trading and the amount of draft picks we have gotten starting with that trade back with the Bears and getting Kadarius Tony, that – We've gotten so many guys this year that have been vital, including Kayvon Thibodeau and Evan Neal in the first round, basically back-to-back with one pick in between. Now we have two more picks that we can either use or use to trade. Like, I feel like we've only gotten good things out of this. So, no, I would I would still trade back and go through this because, obviously, good things have come out of it since, and it's just – making a big deal on our on our defense and our offense like our team is just better for it so it sucks that we're going through this right now but I think that there's always a light at the end of the tunnel and it hurts but it's going to get better and guess what Joe Shane somehow turned the lemon that you know Gettleman used with that draft pick into I guess you could say lemonade I mean two picks for a guy who barely even plays that's that's something it's, it's almost like we have to wait and see if the sugar gets put into the lemonade and see if it actually is good enough to taste. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but, like, there's potential there. Like, the sugar is ready to go. We just got to make sure we get it in the pitcher. And, again, Scotty seems to agree with us. No draft picks are guaranteed. Trading back eight to ten slots to get a future number one, I think, was the right move. And, yes, absolutely. I absolutely agree because Evan Neal was an important piece of the foundation, as were the other picks we got in return for for that draft pick. But with that being said, it's still something good to think about because, make no mistake, I think Micah Parsons is an absolutely fantastic linebacker. Yeah, same. And Tom also says Galladay, Galladay needs to be productive. That's who we're waiting on. Well, hopefully we don't have to wait for Hopefully I don't have to wait for as long as I did to see the Yankees uh, score a run in the ALCS. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, yeah. That's a, that's a low blow, Henry. I'm sorry. You, yet you know how much that pinstripe baseball team has been pissing me off lately. Listen, I know, I know, but giants we're in giants mode. Like I said, I was at game three. That game was like watching paint dry. (laughs) Oh man. I'm sorry. Oh. I'm, I'm I'm in rare form. I'm still. It's all good. It's all I'm good. So many, so much shit from my New York sports teams. Like I had to let that off my chest, but now let's we have a game on. to preview. Let's move on to week eight, New York giants versus Seattle Seahawks. And 
Hey, the Giants actually lead the series all time 10 to 9. Now, you might be surprised why there haven't been many games between them in the history, despite the fact the Seahawks have existed since the 70s. That's because the Seahawks actually started out as an AFC team back when they were at the Kingdom. And the Giants are two and four during the Pete Carroll era. But incidentally, the last game we played against them was pretty memorable, and it was their only win against Russell Wilson. Yeah, I remember, I like have such a vivid memory of winning that game with Colt McCoy coming in, winning that game for us. Like I had no hope whatsoever, like, like literally whatsoever. So the fact that we're going up against this Seattle, I mean, it's a different Seattle Seahawks team for sure than it was, um, was this, what was that, two years ago? No? Uh how was that two years ago? Like they, it was crazy because I remember that game very well. I was watching it. Yeah, so do I. I was watching it with Tom two years ago. That was one of, one of I think multiple games we've watched together since this show has existed, and that was the Colt McCoy starting game. Yeah, and yeah, that was the game that essentially broke the Se- the Seattle Seahawks for all intents and purposes because they were really never the same, and every team, everyone else essentially figured out how to defend. Russell Wilson. And while it's funny, because looking back at him, he's probably going to be a forgotten defensive coordinator. I think that was really the game where Patrick Graham unleashed the deep, the good defensive game plan. I mean, yeah, no, that was, that was definitely an underdog type of story game for us. Um, obviously with Daniel Jones being, I think that was when he hurt his neck or something. I don't even remember what his injury was at that time, but it was the neck injury that he had during the Bengals game. And that was a game the Giants should have lost, by the way, the Bengals game. They they got very lucky that week. Yeah, that was. And I think also Joe Burrow was hurt at that point as well. Right. Like we. Yeah, I can't I can't put I can't put a finger on who the starting quarterback for the Bengal was. It might have been their third stringer. Was it Finley? I think you're right. It could be Finley. Yeah. Either way. This but is I very... remember that game I remember too because I remember having to like get in my car and like listen to the second half of it on the radio and like sweating it out when like they almost came back. But in any event, back to this game. Yeah. Daniel Bellinger, Evan Neal, Ben Bredesen doesn't look like either of them are going to be playing due to injuries. So it begs the question, who is going to be starting at left guard? I think right. – Nick Gates is definitely a possibility to come back and be a part of the rotation. I don't know that they necessarily want to get him in there right away, so to speak, because, I mean, you look at all the injuries that he's been suffering, but I think eventually with time he's going to he's gonna get his feet wet and be part of that mold again. I know that um, Tyree Phillips and Josh Azudu were the two guys that came in during that game. And they did a fairly good job. So if they are the ones that come in and do this um, and play in this game, you know, it's not not the end of the world. I don't think I think they're fairly decent backups that can fill in that role until they can return. Um, but I'm pretty sure. Correct me if I'm wrong, Hank, if you know, but I'm pretty sure this week the Giants versus the Seahawks is the only matchup in week eight with two teams with winning records. I'm pretty sure that's that's true. Are you ready for me to quote Tom? You would happen to be correct. Aha! I saw that somewhere and I double-checked it because I was like, who would have thought going into week eight, Giants and Daniel Jones v. Seattle Seahawks and Geno Smith 
would be like the game of the week. Like it's insane. And I think we need to talk a little bit about Geno Smith because like obviously oh, we're, yeah, familiar, we'll we're familiar with him. Uh, yeah, it's, that's one game that I've tried to block out of the memory bank. One of, are you noticing a pattern of me saying that with a lot of bad giant games? Like, I'm, I'm <laughs> so. We don't need to talk about that. We just no. need to talk about Geno Smith. Let me get some more comments. Uh, Tom says, Hank and I definitely remember that game. Yep. One of, one of multiple great victories that you and I watched together, Tom. And, um, oh gosh, Scotty. How scary is that? We were rolling out quarterbacks like uh, Colt McCoy, Jake Fromm, State Farm, State Farm. Mike Glennon, Mike, <laughs> Mike Glennon. See, oh man, funny. It took it took a few years late, but we were all proven right when we said you you wouldn't appreciate Eli until he was gone. But that's a tangent for another day. Who will start at right tackle? It looks like it's going to be Tyree Phillips, but he did not look great in that game against the ja- and Jaguars. And the Giants scoring offense, 21 points per game. That's 18th in the NFL. Passing 160.9 yards per game. That's 30th. And then their rushing offense is first in the NFL with 173.4 yards per game. Again, credit that to having Saquon Barkley in a really good offensive line. And then we look at the runs, the scoring defense sixth best in the NFL passing defense is 14th, but rushing defense is what worries me probably maybe a little bit more so than Gino. And as far as the Seahawks go, they, can you believe that they're in first place? No, I a hundred percent cannot believe that. I had a very different mindset of what the Seattle Seahawks are going to be like this year, but Gino Smith has been performing very well. Surprisingly, obviously starting off, kicking Russell Wilson's butt in week one and just like standing his ground. I believe your boy, Justin Herbert. Yeah, I know that was a rough watch last week too. And um, it's just not, not great, honestly. Um, But I believe he completes, what is it? 70% of his catches or 70% of his throws. So like, that's really impressive. And that's definitely going to be something that our secondary needs to keep an eye on because like we cannot have him tossing it down the field and getting touchdowns and getting up on us because we can't lose to Geno Smith. I refuse to lose to Geno Smith. Oh no, that would be bad. And I can't, I can't do it. I'd rather lose to the Jacksonville Jaguars. I really would. Crazy part. 11 touchdowns to just three interceptions. Like I can already hear all those jet fans saying, where was this when he was in New York? Hey, that's where the quarterbacks go to die. You guys know that. But then let's also talk about the production of the receivers. Tyler Lockett, seven catches, 45 yards. Marquise Goodwin, four catches, 67 yards, two touchdowns. DK Metcalf's status is in doubt. He was dealing with an injury. Yeah. But another guy that definitely you got to worry about is Kenneth Walker, the running back, 168 yards last week and a pair of touchdowns. The defense in Seattle is giving up five yards per carry and ten allowing 10 rushing touchdowns. And they also faced 51 pass attempts versus Justin Herbert last week. Mm-hmm. Brian Neal, their safety, had four passes deflected versus the Chargers. That's a 75.5 PFF grade. And the Giants, as I said, have given up the highest yards per carry in the NFL. Travis Etienne averaged 8.1. So mm-hmm. I think the, running, the run defense is something that definitely scares me. Yeah, and I know we're about to get into like our keys to the game and so on and so forth. 
Um, but the run game is something that's so important because I was actually looking at some Travis Etienne stats today and he had 114 yards in our, in this past game, um, with against us, it was the most yards he's had this entire season in one game. He's gone. He used to was getting thirties and forties. And then the past two weeks, he's gotten like seventies and eighties. And now he broke a hundred in our game. So like, obviously our run defense is something that really needs, I mean, Travis Etienne's also just getting better. But especially against somebody like Kenneth Walker, who has just been blowing, like just blowing up for the Seattle Seahawks, like just doing incredible. Um, it's something really, really important for us to focus on. <laughs> I'm sorry, Scott's comment just. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Anyways, let's get to the let's get to the keys to the game. So I'm going to start with you first, Sam, what is your main key to this game? Yeah. So just to kind of go off of what I was just saying before, um, stopping the run, which is um, our new get off the field on third down, uh, stopping the run is very, very important. Um, Like I said, Kenneth Walker is somebody who is insanely good and, you know, going up against Travis Etienne last week, like we really got to keep it tight with the run defense And I'll even throw in the fact that, you know, our offensive line is injured now and Daniel Jones has been thriving with a good offensive line. So we need to continue that. And that's how we're going to help. You know, it's going to help us win the game if Daniel Jones is thriving. So we need to make sure that whoever does go in on the offensive line side, like does well and can continue to be a brick wall for him, because otherwise we've seen the way he is with a bad offensive line. And I I can't go through that again, Hank. I can't do it. Yep, I think that's a good one. And I would, for my key to the game, I would say you definitely have to pressure Geno Smith. Kayvon Thibodeau and Jihad Ward need to get in his face and put as much pressure on him as possible. And one matchup that's going to be really intriguing is Kayvon Thibodeau going against another rookie in left tackle, Charles Cross who the Seattle Seahawks took, I believe, in the second round. Mm-hmm. Seahawks have another rookie offensive tackle in Abraham Lucas. So they might have their hands full with this New York Giants pass rush. And obviously, you know, Dexter Lawrence is going to be a factor. He's the team leader in sacks with four. And I think the question is, can Leonard Williams also get to the quarterback? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And Dexter Lawrence, just to hop back to last week for a second, I feel like Dexter Lawrence played really, really well last week. And he had a few penalties here and there, but overall I thought his performance was really good. So so let me bring up Tom's comment, which I saved a little bit just because I wanted to get to this segment first. Seahawks spent two early draft picks on bookend tackles in Cross and Lucas. Ken Walker scares the shit out of me. I agree with that. 100%. 100%. Ken, Kenneth Walker, since the Rashad Penny injury too, Kenneth Walker has just been an, just an anomaly with the run game. It's it's terrifying, honestly. I hope somebody in, in our fantasy league picked him up pretty quickly. I don't You know, I should check. <laughs> I'm going to look. Because <laughs> if no one did, I'm grabbing him. And Scotty, no need to apologize. I love that comment. I thought it was absolutely hilarious. <laughs> But uh, in any event, that's my key to the game. But I think you know what else I'm going to say. Get off I, the field on third down. There you gotta, it is. 
feed Barkley, get him going early and often because, as we said, Seattle's run defense isn't that great either. And last week, he, he even with that that play that nearly cost the Giants the game, he still rushed for 110 yards. So should be interesting to see what happens. And now, Sam, let me ask you, who is your player? Give me a player to watch from both sides. Um, so my my two players to watch are both running backs, um, as we've been saying his name over and over and over again. Kenneth Walker is my player to watch just because, mm-hmm. like we've said, you know, I won't reiterate any longer, but he's a beast and the run game is something that's really important for us to work on. And I just think just in general, too, like just watching him perform, even not against the Giants, is just he's just a good player to watch. Um, and the other side of the ball, I'm going to go Saquon just because with our offensive line being a little bit unstable, if he can still perform the way that he has been these past couple of weeks, like we're still golden. Like we're still good as just block for him. Let him give him the smallest amount of space to get through and he's off. So I'm, I'm definitely saying the run game on Sunday is going to be insane on both sides of the ball. So those are my two players to watch. So I am going to go with Tyler Lockett. I think Mm. he's going to be a big target, assuming that Metcalf does not play last week. As I mentioned, 41, 41, 41 catches, 468 yards and two touchdowns, 77.2 PFF grade. Definitely an underrated target that they still have. And he's one of the few remaining players from the glory years, too. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for the Giants, I am going to go with Dexter Lawrence because I think ultimately the difference between the Giants probably winning and losing this game is stopping the run. And I think he needs to be on his A game for the Giants to win this. Absolutely. And some other players that I do want to mention uh, Will Disley, the tight end, just because we've talked about it many times before, the Giants struggle with tight ends. Engram had a decent game last week with 67, 67 receiving yards. So I would say him and Noah Font might be an interesting combo to look out for with regards to tight ends. And then you've got Jordan Brooks, who has 73 tackles. And then I would also say Tariq Woolen, who's a good member of the secondary. He's a rookie with four picks, six passes defended, and two fumble recoveries. So one of the rising star cornerbacks in the league for sure. And as far as the giants go, I would say Fabian Moreau because he's definitely done a really good job stepping up in the secondary, had that big tackle at the end of the game that we all know about. So those are some honorable mentions essentially. And uh, we got a few more comment. We got one more comment from Tom heading home from work. Have a great rest of the show. Tom, thank you so much. It is definitely not the same without you, but, Next week, you will be back next next week. It'll be back to normal. All three of us are on together. Safe travels, Tom. Yes. Safe travels home. And those are the players to watch. And um, now, of course, we got to get to the injury report. So for the Giants, Cordell Flott, Kenny Galladay, O'Shane Zimenez, Daniel Bellinger, Evan Neal, and Ben Bredesen. All did not practice today. Flathead was dealing with the calf. Galladay had a knee problem. Zimenez was dealing with the quad. Daniel Bellinger, we know about his eye. Hopefully he's back sooner rather than later. Evan Neal with the MCL sprain, and then we know about Ben Bredesen's knee problem. Players with limited practice, 
Tyree Phillips, Jason Pinnock, and Leonard Williams. And now we go over to the Seahawks. DK Metcalf, Penny Hart, Phil Haynes, Nick Belmore, Puna Ford, Daryl T- and Daryl Taylor all did not practice. Metcalf was dealing with a knee injury. He might not be playing. Penny Hart was dealing with a hamstring. Phil Haynes had a concussion, as did Nick Bell, Nick Bellore. Puna Ford was dealing with an ankle, and Daryl Ford was dealing, or Daryl Taylor rather, was dealing with a groin injury. And as far as players with limited practice, Tyler Lockett was dealing with a hamstring, but it looks like he's going to play. Cornerback Artie Burns, the former Steeler, was dealing with a groin injury, but he looks like he will play. Ryan Neal had an ankle injury. Quinton Jefferson had a foot injury, and Sidney Jones is dealing with a groin injury. And now, one of my favorite segments, last but certainly not least, let's get to our predictions. And Sam, I'm going to start with you. All right. I just want to say, too, that's, I think, the first time that an injury report on the other team has been longer than ours. So I guess that's right. It's crazy. That's a good, that's a good upgrade for us, I suppose. Um, And for my game prediction, I thought about this a lot and I think crazy enough, the Seahawks is going to be one of the hardest teams for us, um, especially going over to the West coast. That's always, you know, kind of a hard thing to do with the time difference and whatnot, um, the traveling, but I have such faith in this team, even with the injuries, that I'm feeling like the Giants are going to pull out a win for us. We're going to go 7-1. and one. We're going to be even more in the spotlight beating someone like Geno Smith, which is, again, crazy to say. So I think the Giants are going to win. I think it's going to be 24-20. to 20. It's going to be close. I, like they do every week. They keep it close. Um, and I think that it's actually going to be a really, really intense game going back and forth. Um, and hopefully the Giants come out on top. But that's that's what I'm thinking. I like it. I hope you're right. And Tom, I think, might be on a similar page with you, although his score is interesting. He has it being a very low defensive struggle, which is mm-hmm. kind of surprising considering what we said about, you know, stopping the run and the Seahawks being one of the tougher teams. But he has the Giants winning 14 to 13. And unfortunately, here's where I'm going to disagree. Personally, I hope the Giants can get this win. It, it would be nice to enter the bye week at 7-1, and one, but I have a bad feeling we're going to be due to lose sooner or later. And Seattle is a place where the New York Giants have historically struggled and it is almost very tough to win there. Obviously, we know about the power of the 12s. Yeah. I think the Giants will make it a close game, but ultimately it's going to be that crazy Geno Smith magic that does us in. I'm going to have, I'm going to say the final score is going to be 21 to 17 Seattle. I honestly, I feel like this is a either or type of game. Like the, these, both of these teams is very, very possible for either of them to win. Like I don't, I don't write off the Giants as much as I do last year, obviously, since we're playing so much better, but. Like I said, this is a really, really tough opponent to go up against, and we have to travel to the West Coast, to Seattle, to that loud-ass stadium. So, But I'm excited to see. I'm excited to see how we overcome this. So it's going to be a good game. You should also kind of be thanking me because I don't think the Giants have lost on a day where I've uh, picked against them. (laughs) Yeah, Hank, you just have to consistently not pick the Giants because it helps us win. (laughs) I mean, I don't know if that necessarily worked as much in years past, but this year it is. This year it's working. It's working. 
If it's not broke, don't fix it. But in any event, Sam, thanks again for another great episode. Again, it definitely feels weird not having Tom around, but definitely another great show. And um, yeah, no, anyways, that's pretty much all we have for you guys today. As always, please don't forget to follow us on our social medias. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Big Blue Avenue. And of course, please don't forget to subscribe to us on YouTube as well. Hit that big red button down below. Give us a like. Give us a comment. Let us know your thoughts. We want to hear from you guys. And of course, as you also know, Big Blue Avenue is a sub show of Review and Preview. So you can also follow us on Review and Preview on all of our social medias, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter at Review and Preview Sports. And again, much like with big, our Big Blue Avenue channel, please don't forget to hit that big red button down there below for that as well but sam i am looking forward to another good week of giants football do you have any more closing thoughts before we sign off i am just ready to go i'm ready to keep on this streak i want a a five game win streak let's do it there you have it hopefully the five game win streak happens but folks you have just watched another episode of big blue avenue on behalf of tom scabetta sam cardona I'm Hank and Dichter, and let's go Big Blue.